three quite incredible games. Look at the joy there. And already Ian Allenson, the substitute for Arsenal is on. Allenson onside. Now here's a chance for Arsenal. Goff trying to close him down. He's got it. It's one more. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Pleasure to have you here. My name is Marcus Speller, Jonathan Wilson is opposite me and today we have John Cross, Chief Football Writer for The Mirror and author of Arsene Wenger, an inside story of Arsenal under Wenger. John, pleasure to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. Today we go back to March 1987, the League Cup semi-final replay between Tottenham and Arsenal which finished 2 one to Arsenal. Why have you chosen this game, John? Well, I, I must say, uh, I think maybe people sort of, what I found interesting on, on these podcasts is 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 kind of games that really um, help formulate someone's love of the, of the game and mm. sort of particularly kind of moment in time, if you like. Um, and I have to say, this was, it, it's strange as a journalist. I think you sort of kind of, you know, you grow up supporting and absolutely loving football if you're a football journalist. I, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone does. But then you, you, your football supporting life almost ends when you become a journalist, mm. and um, because you, you, I don't know, you become a bit, little bit more dispassionate about it, and you have to be professional. Well, it's a job, yeah, absolutely. And, well, and there's also the fact if you do in 120 games a season, yeah, go into another game for fun is a little bit less fun than you yeah, do in 20 not, games a season. I mean, I still do, but it's just it's it's just you're not in that same zone, are you? I mean, people often sort of say to me, "Oh, you claim to be a you know an Arsenal fan or, or this, that, and the other," and well. I don't really, you know, I just kind of, it's it's the job and sort of, you know, grew up as an Arsenal fan, not going to sort of hide away from that. But it was th- this, I have to say, was the greatest night of my fo- football supporting life. It really was. It was just an amazing time. I loved it because I'd sort of watched Arsenal, you know, ever since my dad sort of kind of first took me. My dad was sort of kind of um, born and brought up, at, you know, around the corner from the, from the old Highbury. And sort of went as a kid, remember the sort of the first game I went to, glorious sort of sunny end of season game. I remember going upstairs and seeing the sort of the light shards sort of kind of in that spring sort of, you know, uh, early evening game. And it was just just an amazing experience. And then began to go with my mates early in the 80s, where at a time when you could sort of kind of still just do a paper round, basically, and it mm. would pay for your, your, your football home and away could go and see a random London game if you couldn't go to get get to see your team when they're away from home. It was a it was very the, different time. Oh, it was the best time of my life, and I feel yeah. sorry for the kind of kids of today without wanting to sound desperately old, which I obviously <laughs> do. Um, uh, but basically, you're just never going to get that again with either mm. kind of escalating costs with a membership, which you know, by the way, you, you know, so many people struggle to get tickets. I do. Um, to to get to any random Premier League game, let alone being able to go and see any game in kind of London week in, week out. Arsenal were hopeless at the start of the 80s. Mm. Absolutely hopeless. And yeah. and basically, I remember going and seeing, you know, Charlie Nicholas was was kind of the Terrace Idol, obviously, but, you know, rarely turned up, would turn up for Spurs games, to be, to be fair to him. Um, you know, Stuart Robson, without doubt, was Arsenal's best player for a couple of seasons. If, if he was playing, then they stood a chance. If he didn't, forget it. And then basically, George Graham came in in 1986, and he was just amazing. He mm. just transformed that club. And I would argue 
that the basically that night and indeed winning the the Littlewoods Cup was the most transformative period. Forget 1989. I think this was the most important game in that particular era of the football club. So it kind of laid the foundations for George Graham's success. And then basically from there, all of a sudden, you know, you had that time, obviously, when when Graham left and then the kind of two or three years before Arsene Wenger came in. But it laid that foundations almost. Really, It was that big, I think, that this result um, for Arsenal. Obviously, it was against their great rivals and nothing else mattered at that time. And it was just one of those nights where I just think, I, you know, I was there. It was the most amazing experience and wonderful, wonderful night. Yeah, And that I, was a really good Tottenham team. I think it's, yeah. quite, it's quite easy from our perspective now to think, oh yeah, Tottenham, they won a couple of cups, but essentially from the early 60s to Pochettino's era, they were this sort of nothing mid-table team. Mm. David Pleat's team was a really, really good team. Yeah, they, they got to the final of the FA Cup. They ended up finishing third in the league, semi-final of this competition. And, and they played in a, in a very sort of modern, unusual way. And and hoddle and waddle in there. We'll, we'll yeah, do I mean, Hoddle ended up missing this game with, a, I think, a stomach yeah, muscle uh-huh. injury. But he but played in the, because the, it was a two-legged It was a two-legged semi-final. That went to a replay. But, but we'll yeah, so the that. way that team played, um, after <laughs> after Inverting the Pyramid came out, I was <laughs> I was at, uh, still available. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you. If I got a plug in, you'd do one. So it's 1-1. Not, one. not your latest work though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, I was at an airport. Um, I think it was coming, I, I think from memory, I was coming back from UEFA Cup final, maybe in 2000 and, oh, I can't remember. But anyway, it was, it was a game that not many of the British press had gone to. And I was waiting for my bags to come around. And, um, David Pleat, who I'd never mm. spoken to before, mm. okay. s- suddenly emerges and, and galloped starts, into the scene. Starts berating me, going, <laughs> "Why did you miss out my Tottenham team? You said Everton pioneered five midfield. What about my Tottenham team?" <laughs> Sorry, David. Let, let me tell you how we played. Had he not introduced us? He just went straight in. Yeah, straight in. He didn't even say, "You know, did, didn't, good, didn't good evening, check everyone." Who I was. No. He was just like straight in. Um, yeah. And he said, "We, you know, we had we had our dealers sat deep. <laughs> so at the back four, our dealers sat deep as sort of the playmaker." Um, I think he was talking, I mean, Steve Hodge uh, didn't play in this game, but he did play in the FA Cup final. Yeah. So Hodge and Paul Allen, sort of the shuttlers, protecting our dealers. Mm. Waddle picked whichever wing he, he felt the fullback was weaker on. Mm. Clive Allen as a centre, I mean, 49 goals that season. Clive oh, yeah. An extraordinary yeah. record. And then Hoddle is sort of a, you know, a free number 10 going away felt like. Um, and Bleak was very sort of disparaging of Hoddle's sort of tactical mm. understanding. It was odd given... How Hoddle became as a manager. Yeah, he said, "Yeah, we couldn't give Hoddle too many instructions. Just you know, go and go and find yeah. your space and play." Yeah, it's amazing with David Pleat because I actually it's it's such a strange one because in, in our weird world that is a sort of being a football journalist, you sort of kind of grew up sort of watching Pleat's teams and mm. in particular that Spurs team, which I agree with you was. I mean, I actually would argue, almost make a case that they were the best team in the country that season. I know they're we're definitely the best about, team to watch. Yes, and it, everything was funneled towards Clive Allen, wasn't it? Mm. That was the beauty of it. That was the amazing thing. And he just, he was astonishing. He was on fire. Obviously scored, you know, the the goals in, 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 that, in that semi-final. But he's just, it, it was it was a fabulous thing. And... I've got so much admiration for him, and then in our weird world, you then became you actually get to know them a, a little bit. And I love talking football with David Pleat. He's one of the most engaging, one of the most knowledgeable, you know, one of the best people that you could speak to as a, as a football journalist. But he's he one of those people who, who also you, you can go to the most obscure game, yes. and suddenly, oh, that's David Pleat. Mm, he yeah. he absolutely his his breadth of knowledge and his 
his his love of all football is is extraordinary. Do you think he's a yeah. bit um, uh, maybe underrated or, or, or whatever? Because he's a slightly eccentric character, I think sort of people see him as. Because what you're saying suggests that he is a little bit underrated, or, or his managerial career was. Yeah, maybe. I mean, obviously, yeah, you had had I mean, the issues, um, indeed, but. I don't know. I, mean, I think I think that eighty-seven team is is respected. Okay. Uh, I mean, they did finish, I think, sixteen points behind Everton that season, so they weren't yeah. weren't that close to winning the title. Mm-hmm. I think maybe as a broadcaster, he's underappreciated, but that, and that might be his sort of slightly pedantic, slightly kind of yeah, yeah, uh, odd manner. Yeah. But, I lo- I loved him researching this, and I you know because I'm so passionate about it, I did do quite a lot of research. <laughs> Hope I can remember it all. But one of the things that I just didn't know or didn't recall from the time in sort of looking it up was this wonderful little anecdote about after the game. Yeah, I mean I might as well just chuck this in. Yeah, now. I know We're what you're going to say, about David Pleat. Yeah. And basically, David Pleat has ended up giving George Graham a lift home. Yeah, after the game, it's I mean, extraordinary it's just, dramatic finish, and they go and have a cup of tea and a sandwich in his I, office. It was. I'll give you so, lift home, George. It was so Amazing! I love it was that. So it's, it was incredible. David went, Pleat described it as basically Arsenal with a, a stab Spurs through the heart, yeah. and then basically they, they go and have a sandwich in, in in their sort of the manager's room afterwards. George Graham used to live in Cockfosters, and that was on the way back to, to David Pleat's home in, in in Luton. So jump in, George, and I'll drop you off on the way back. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. After can tea you, and sandwiches yeah, as well. It's, it's just can wonderful. you imagine that these days? It's just, it just doesn't happen, does yeah. it? You don't. You don't get to know uh-huh. sort of the, sort of the people, and that was in a sort of a wonderful. Wonderful time, and there was sort of you know I, th- I think still until what the, until the noughties sort of thing you yeah. know managers might consider giving a journalist. I always remember George Armstrong, the old Arsenal reserve team manager, used to give me offer me a lift home sort of kind of after reserve games. Can you imagine that now? <laughs> when it just doesn't happen. But the you know, whole the whole incredible. climate, the whole thing was so different back then. Yeah. I mean, you watch those games, the state of the pitches, mm. um, the, the fans seem more on top. I mean, you've. You've got the old style stands, of course, and so on. It's not, it's not that long ago, the 80s, in, in some respect. But yet, as you say, until probably the noughties, maybe a little bit in the 90s, the, the whole thing looked so differently and felt so yes. differently. Yeah. You know, which is tapping into what you're saying about the ticket prices. Well, and, you know. like you say, it's not that long ago. It's it's 33 years. I know. And like, yeah, so well, if you, in 1987, did 1954 seem a long time ago? Yes, it really did. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose I'm thinking of, you know, other other games we've done on this podcast, like, you know, the Tel Aviv derby in the 20s and so on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a longer, but then I suppose you put it like that, it's, it's a fair But there is that sort of uh, compression thing of, you know, a game you, I mean, I remember watching a highlight on Sports Night, yeah. um, or the ITV equivalent, whichever, I can't remember, but... Um, and yeah, you, you kind of, you, and you you seeing it on YouTube, you get the same sense that the other, the atmosphere being something you just don't get now. That sort of real sort of crackle of yeah, it was raw. It was real. It was real hatred. I, you know, I look at other rivalries sort of up and down the country, and you sort of the Merseyside derby. And I'm sure Liverpool and Everton fans will dispute that about sort of the friendly derby. I mean, I'm sure it can't be all that nice, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> certainly not during the ninety minutes. You know, and it, it, it's just. It was a world away from that, and it was it was really nasty. I remember that I remember sort of being uh, walked back by the police with 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 my my mates, basically back to set all the way back to Seven Sisters, and mm. felt like I was going to be ambushed at any moment. It was probably wasn't it wasn't the nicest atmosphere, and that you know I remember one guy in particular, this old guy 
being pulled out and sort of kind of being set upon by a group of Spurs fans. It was nasty. It was it was yeah. raw. It was it was brutal. And and I guess that all adds to it. To yeah. be honest with you, it, it really does. You know, I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it? I was watching the the, the Manchester game last um, uh, last week. It was and mm. um, about that sort of that semi final. And in commentary, they were sort of saying about you, you, no team has lost the first leg at home and then gone on to overturn. Um, that first leg deficit and still gone on to on to reach Wembley. That this not happened since eighty seven. They didn't obviously detail the game in which it was, and it was this one. And yeah. so it just shows you the scale Absolutely. of that achievement. It's not been done, you know, sort of kind of you know since then. And and I guess that that's that, that's testament to the kind of the never say die attitude and everything that went with it in, in that game. Which you see even in the first, you know, in the first two legs. I mean, even to get it to a replay yeah. from where they were at half time in the yes. second leg wasn't just so. Like the first leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Ivory, Clive yeah. Allen. It was a one-sided game. Arsenal basically started that season really well mm-hmm. under under George Graham, and and basically, it, you know, he got them. <laughs> I see some, certain similarities in Mikel Arteta actually in that basic former player gets them to play a different way, um, pressing of of its sort in the time, and they really did. They incredibly efficient. Actually, if you look at the the the, the two games at White Hart Lane, Arsenal were much better in both of those games. Because they worked that much harder, they did. They, they hunted in packs and they defended well. And they didn't do that in the first game. They were com- comprehensively outplayed. Frankly, Spurs could have killed that game off, um, that the tie off in that first game. Arsenal didn't play well, mm. and basically, you, you know, I was thinking that's it really because they'd run out of steam a little bit from that early start of the season. You think this season's going to fade away, mm-hmm. but actually, George Graham had, had done really well, given the team a bit of hope, given the yeah. fans a bit of hope, and then and then he thought. They're big underdogs, and then basically, as as you were alluding to, you know, Spurs score in that in that in the first half of the second leg mm-hmm. is live on on TV on a, on a you know on the Sunday afternoon. I remember being there in the stadium, and you're thinking, oh, this is just kind of slipping away. I just hope I li- I can actually remember thinking, I hope it just doesn't turn into an embarrassment now because it was two nil. It was one and a half games down. It was it was slipping away, and at that wonderful moment, you know, you now get the infamous kind of um, recollection of the of the halftime announcement with well, yeah. the ticket details. Brilliant! I mean, it was just it was just a moment in time. <laughs> well, talk about so you're absolutely right. To the, it was so sort of one sided, as you say, mm. that at halftime, the announcer announces to Spurs fans the ticket information for the final. Yeah, it was incredible. They start then they play. Aussie's going Oz, to Aussie's Wembley. Gone to, Aussie's gone to Wembley. The confidence. I mean, it's a bit. It, it's akin to Ajax playing Spurs in the semi final of the Champions League. Uh, half time when they're playing um, the Bob Marley song, which I know yeah. they, they play regularly, but they, everyone thought, "Oh well, we're on. Yes. We can just we can enjoy this second half." Now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was yeah. <laughs> funny enough. I was in Amsterdam, yeah, right. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. and it was just you never thought that that that, yeah. that was gonna that was gonna end in anything but mm. a, but, but an eye But there was a and it was exactly the same like that. And and actually, David Plea also details it. You know about how the Spurs directors had, had, had sort of kind of printed these after the first after the first. Like They're talking about printing T-shirts for the final. Astonishing, absolutely yeah. astonishing. Can you imagine? It's amazing how often the teams do this. It's inc- yeah. incredible hubris. So, yeah, they learned from Brazil um, in the 1950 World Cup, Jonathan. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah, that, that's a great example. Yeah. On, the, on the morning of the final game, printing the headline, Brazil Campeonas. <laughs> Which the Uruguay team then kind of yeah, they buy every newspaper from the hotel lobby and they go up to one of their rooms and put them on the floor and piss on them. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, the Verde Bre- I think it's Verde Bremen 
when they lost the Bundesliga in the final day to Bayern Munich. And as they went out for the second half of the game, there's loads of bottles of champagne lined up. Oh my goodness. And then they come back in 45 minutes later and just walk past this unopened champagne. Mm, Yeah, be really careful about that kind of stuff because it does. Oh, it's it's crazy. It's it's such a nonsense. But there was a crucial miss in that uh, first half of the second leg. Clive Allen, the ball comes over to him. Mm. And maybe a full stretch or whatever, but you'd have probably fancied him to score and he misses. Yeah. And you'd think to yourself, that probably would have killed the tie if it wasn't already dead. Yeah. And it's those little ones, you know, as you say, you get overconfident and you miss a good chance and so on. George Graham would have got them in at half time and thought, we're still in this. Absolutely he would have. And he was a great uh, motivator. Mm. And as I say, he did get them. I mean, they were brilliant in that in that second half. Suddenly they up the ante. And I think you could see the anger coming in, 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 the, um, in their performance because they were suddenly closing down. There was a sort of a... You know, sort of a moment which actually, I think the the you know you tape everything and watch it when you get home at, at that stage. And I remember watching, re-watching it back, and the the analysts sort of kind of pointing towards how Arsenal sort of closing down in in that second half, and they're working their socks off. Not a moment's you know sort of peace for the Spurs players, and suddenly they they got a grip of that 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 Spurs midfield, the five man midfield, for the first time in the tie. And suddenly it began to change. And I do actually think it probably came from that George Graham motivational halftime talk spurred on by this incredible sort of mm. halftime an- announcement, which, I mean, David Pleat sort of still sort of says, oh, I'm, I'm not sure they could have heard it in the dressing room, whether they heard it or yeah. not. It's sort of kind of in the tunnel or or Perry Groves mm. details. He was out, uh, out of this game injured, but basically coming down from the stands mm-hmm. and sort of telling the sort of the dressing room <clears> about it. You'll never guess what I've heard. And basically telling the players and they were, they were spurred on by this and George Graham sort of delights in, oh, in yeah. always proving everyone wrong. He loved doing that in sort of kind of 89 and again in, in 91, he sort of, you know, would make a thing of kind of pinning up press clippings on the, on the dressing room wall and he was sort of seized on this moment and you could see, I think, that, that spirit of defiance and anger in, in Arsenal's second half performance in that second leg. There was suddenly a different team. They were going at it mm. and suddenly retrieve that game from from absolutely absolutely nowhere, and then to pull it back and then take it take it you know to equal and level w- w- was really quite something. Yeah, it was. When, so, I, mean, I mean, George Graham, I think, is a perhaps we talk about David Pleat being an underrated figure. Mm. I think I wonder if George Graham's slightly underrated because well, the reputation yeah. he has has been this sort of very yeah the, the back four is a thing yeah. that everybody talks yeah. about ruthless offside trap, mm. very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. But I think that probably undersells him slightly because. Slightly tainted One of the things for, that, that's always fascinated yeah. me about him is that, you know, as a player, he was, you know, the stroller, kind of a, you know, a very sort of uh, languid midfielder. How do you go from that to this, you know, incredibly well-drilled offside trap, this rigorous organisation? Mm. You're the sort of football he as a player would not have dealt well with at all. Mm. And it, it it seems to me that it is this time working with Venables at QPR. He was Venables' assistant. Mm. And Venables... You think of Venables and George Graham as being quite different football. That Venables mm. is very, you know, in the total football tradition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 learned learned the game playing for Tottenham in the sixties. Becomes Barcelona manager. He, you know, he's all about that pass and move possession football. But actually, the thing they've got in common is the offside trap. And the off, uh, you know, I think it's easy when we talk about total football to forget that it's predicated on a ruthless offside trap and pushing very high. And. Uh, it, I, you know, it, it seems that George Graham picked that up from Venables and, and realised sort of what the application of that could be with a bit of a, a bit, you know, slightly more direct approach in the possession approach, approach mm. 
mm. are, are venerable. So he is in a very modern tradition. Although we sort of we think of him now as being sort of a, quite an old-fashioned English style or British style manager. Yeah. He actually had that sort of you know, he'd learned the venerable sophistication, and he sort of reapplied that in a more British way. Yeah, he did, yeah. and it's an interesting one because he. I remember at the time. I mean. Sort of the, the previous managers, sort of Don Howe was sort of ousted, and and all of a sudden there was talk of Arsenal going for Venables, mm. and then suddenly oh, right, yeah. it felt like a bit when George Graham came in, he was almost the consolation prize, and he'd been at Millwall between absolutely, and and just to put it in context, I mean he's a former player managing at you know a sl, you know lower division than at, at, at Millwall. How do you compare that? So Campbell, I don't know, maybe that's slightly deriding what George did at at Millwall because. You know, he he got them drilled, he got them on the up, and he'd done a very very good job at, at, at Millwall. But equally, it wasn't it wasn't a universally popular uh, appointment. Um, and I don't know quite how we judge these things, but because I was quite infused at the time, I was still at school, and I was thinking, blimey, I, you know, I'm quite up for this because basically, former player will make a difference, and he'll work them hard. And it was and it was quite different. And he was, he, he, you know, the other thing about this was not only a languid player, but known. Equally as gorgeous George, wasn't he? Because he liked a night out, basically, and he just wasn't—he just wasn't what you think as a disciplinarian manager. And he just came in and he ruthlessly took apart kind of so many players who had just been sort of ambling along. Arsenal had become a retirement home for the likes of, you know, so, I don't know, Woodcock, Mariner, that sort of thing, really. And he basically wanted hungrier players, and he kind of built together a sort of, you know, the. the Players coming through like like Rowcastle, like Michael Thomas, um, uh, and gelled them together in the first instance. Anyway, was players like Viv Anderson, Kenny Sansom, and 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 it just worked and it clicked and he got them and he got them working and he got them, you know, fighting hard and showing some real pride in the shirt. And that was it was typified by the, the, this comeback and the, this incredible game. But it was a shame for George in the way that it, it, it obviously ended in, in sort of scandal and disgrace. And I've always felt that he deserved a bit more mm. respect and credit. And I'm so pleased in recent times, quietly and slowly but surely, he's kind of been welcomed back by the, the modern Arsenal, if you like. And so he's welcomed back on the pitch in games and stuff in the mm. last two or three seasons, which is something, you know, which hasn't happened before. It really hasn't because of, obviously, the, the, the manner of his departure. Mm. And, for you know, a fan of a certain a generation, someone like, you know, my age, it's brilliant to see because he deserves a bit more respect for the scale of the achievement because Arsenal were completely, yeah. you know, they were drifting. They were the, the mediocre... They, they were they were a nothing team basically, and they were sort of kind of threatening. They hadn't won anything since what what was it? Seventy nine, seventy nine, yeah. And and you know that that was just fleetingly as well, you know. And it was just uh, the way he put them back on the map was, was was something really quite special. Yeah. All right, let's have a quick break, and after which we'll uh, talk about the game itself. See you in a moment. Deep, deep one. Quinn hoping to get on the end of it. It comes to Anderson, driven first time in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramble. Welcome back to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Right, gentlemen, um, let's get down to it then. So, of course, uh, the, the, the two legs had ended uh, 1-0 to Spurs at uh, Highbury and then and then Arsenal had beaten Spurs 2-1 at White Hart Lane. Uh, Spurs won the cost of a coin. To- co- toss of a coin is the expression I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to say. Uh, and uh, they obviously chose to play at White Hart Lane. Why wouldn't they? And so the the uh, replay was played at White Hart Lane. But as you said, John, um, in the first half, Arsenal raised their game mm. uh, playing at White Hart Lane. And obviously, with hindsight, we can say it, were, you know, it was probably good for them uh, that they were playing there. But it, it fed into that... Um, that siege mentality, perhaps, that George Graham had fostered there, that they'd got themselves back. They won at White Hart Lane. They knew they could win there. And actually, it was almost like the, sort of the shackles were off a little bit more. They, they were. It was more level pegging when they went into that game. Yeah, the away end, uh, uh, which I was in, was basically went crazy about that, 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 that toss of the coin. Because basically, at that stage... Just Arsenal, I don't know why it was. It was they had some some success at White Lane, but suddenly felt as if actually this has swung our way. Basically, <laughs> this is kind of it's, it was a really strange one in that basically um, it later sort of almost well it did become a song in that basically one nil down, two one up. That's how Arsenal won the cup, and it was it was <laughs> um, you know they basically also they, they sort of reveled in that. There was a series of games that they won two one at White Hart Lane against Spurs. And it was just the way it sort of unfolded. And there was no fear mm. suddenly then. I think also when they'd come back, it was such an incredible comeback. Mm. How on earth did they do that? And so basically all of a sudden they're thinking, well, we've got nothing to lose now. So basically we're out this cup. We're yeah. out the semi-final. We've lost. And suddenly we're back in it. And so why why on earth should we be worried about this? The other The other remarkable thing is that basically that game finished on the Sunday... And then what? <laughs> yeah. What three days later on yeah. the Wednesday? Can you imagine this happening now? Well, it was restaged, so it's a, a, a replay was suddenly rearranged yeah. at White Hart Lane because there was no penalties it, after the no. two legs, and there was no away goals. Absolutely, it was amazing. Yeah, otherwise Arsenal would have gone through, obviously. Yeah, you know. but it was. Um, well, you'd have missed out on this game. Absolutely, <laughs> and it was suddenly it was rearranged for 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 the Wednesday. And actually, I was kind of—I don't know—must have been doing something on social media and saying, People no, just doing just... less those days." Well, it was just weird because like this was—it was, yeah. And it was—it was—it was so strange how suddenly the police sort of kind of, you know, sort of agreed to this. And how did they sort of sort out the tickets? How did they get it doing? Yeah. I mean, back in those days, um, it was still in the era when you basically bought your bought your program 
And on the back of it, you have one of those tokens, basically. The voucher to get the voucher yeah, to, yeah. to get your cup final tickets, to mm. get your sort of kind of places. Now, I, I religiously bought bought programs. I still I still collect programs, and actually, and um, and and that entitled you. And I cannot remember, but I must have done. We're basically going going to go and get a sort of a, a replay ticket because apparently it was all ticket. I don't remember that. I remember just going and and, and getting in, you know, and getting in with 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 my pals, basically. It was. It was you know, just three days later, and mm. and here we go again. And it was a night match. There was something special, and I still think White Hart Lane is is, is an amazing stadium to yeah. go and watch a, a night match under the lights. We're so close to Fabulous. the pitch, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love that. I mean, I do, I do think that the new stadium is incredible, without doubt. But but there's there's something there was something magical about the away ground in there. Basically, so close, mm. so on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I remember a, a few times sort of. Um, the away end and sort of kind of you could sit up above and you you, you sort of so on top of the pitch you could almost sort of it almost felt like staring down vertically you could jump down onto it yeah and it's it's, it was incredible you know but it it was an amazing stadium incredible atmosphere and the sense of anticipation that night was was remarkable as you say the atmosphere so shifted so much with those Arsenal fans but with the players as well I mean I've only watched highlights of the game of course for my money, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. In this game, Arsenal b- begin the game like I say, more on the front foot. Yeah, you know, O'Leary has a chance where he sort of flashes wide, but Arsenal, not, well, maybe more up for it. But they, they, there's the belief. Yeah, essentially. Well, it's yeah. a really good uh, Nal Quinn chance as well when he shakes off Mabbott and puts it just wide. Yes. Oh no, the, yeah. it was. I think it was Quinter. I'm not thinking. Right. Not yeah, one Irish is much the same as another. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they sorry. won't mind that. <laughs> Forgive me, everybody. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah so, they did start well. Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, Arsenal were definitely on the front foot, and as, as we referred to before, with, with Hoddle being out. Yes, yeah, so Nico Klassen came yeah, in. Nico Klassen had looked an amazing player in the World Cup in '86. Yeah. But yeah, in that Belgian team that got to the semi-final. It never quite happened for him at Spot Tottenham, did it? it was... No, no, no. He was very. I mean, he was, yeah. There were flashes there, and basically, a very quick player, very aggressive player. But he wasn't. He didn't really fit in, and 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 it didn't. It, they weren't quite as fluid, and they weren't quite as fluent um, Spurs. But I have to say, they came on. You know, came mm. on sort of strong. And once Arsenal <clears throat> didn't go ahead, and it was just one of those games where Arsenal played quite and stayed started quite well. Actually, you're thinking as the, as the game wore on, and I remember thinking, how are they going to score? You know, where are they going to score from? Mm. And they just kind of c- couldn't quite create create that chance. And then, you know, to go behind, mm-hmm. then 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 again, obviously, obviously it was Clive. Yeah, sure, yeah. Well, who, who I think it's fair to say probably shouldn't have been on the pitch at that point because he puts a, a reducer <laughs> in. Was it? Uh, I forget who it was now. Was it Davis? Maybe um, Paul Davis. That I, I mean is. Just GBH. Like, it, it, like nowadays, I what mean... What do you mean? It's fine. It was absolutely fine in those days. Absolutely yeah. fine. No problem. Not, but these not, days you not get everything was better back, back then. No. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it would have been at least a, a straight red and three match ban. Yeah, it was, it would it be, was a I shocker. Mean, I think these things were very inconsistent in those days. I, I mean... Um, well, he seems annoyed that a foul's the, been given. the Arsenal-Leeds FA Cup game, Yeah. Uh, I, I was watching a YouTube clip... Well, of this a, season, do you mean? Yeah, this yeah. season. I was watching a clip of a game uh, from, I guess it must have been early 70s yeah and Gary Sprake just punches somebody <laughs> I think by my punch uh, I can't remember who it is but just punches somebody who goes down abs- yeah absolutely lamps him on the jaw 
Oh, uh, that's a booking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's absolutely. I thought insane. you were going to say the referee gets them together, makes them shake hands. It's good lads. Yeah, good lads, get on with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it's sort of you know the that the threshold for what constitutes a sending off was incredibly variable according to circumstances and referees. Yes, I mean I, I think it, they'd started to standardise it a bit by the eighties, uh-huh. but when games aren't televised, it's really hard. I think, or, or when they're not universally televised, mm. it's really hard to set what what an actual standard is. Yeah, we talk. We complain about inconsistency now. Mm. Way worse, worse then. Because oh. he had nothing to compare it to. No, you know, you're absolutely right. But when Alan puts that challenge in, I think I think is it Richard Goff also runs up and they start shouting. Now I'm sure they're saying because I think someone had maybe stuck one on Alan earlier and so on. But still, like, it doesn't mm. justify that. I mean, he was lucky to get a booking. I'd say even back in those days. Yeah, you know. But anyway, he's well, yeah, if, you, if the- you think of what. Um, uh, Kevin Moran had got set, been sent off for in the mm. 85 FA Cup final. This was much, much worse oh, than that. Absolutely outrageous. Yeah, I mean, they did have some tough players. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 Arsenal did, by the, way, um, by the way, as well. But Mitchell Thomas in that in that era. Mm. <laughs> you know, absolutely <laughs> unforgiving, unforgiving sort of kind of, you know, sort of left back, really. But yeah. then Arsenal, I don't really think, were able to sort of match them in, in many ways. Obviously, mm-hmm. sort of kind of had Adams O'Leary and... That that sort of thing, but they were sort of you know not not really um, particularly a physical team, but they worked incredibly worked incredibly hard. At, I I think you know the the work rate was. Well, you think was, Samson was and, and Anderson down yeah. the flight? Viv Anderson, I think you know during the course of these you know particularly the two games at White Island was 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 you know was worked so hard and yeah. was was, was well, got a crucial goal. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. To take I, I think he's a very underrated figure, you know, Viv Anderson. I, 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 I mean, I, I know he obviously has the status as being the first black player to play for England, mm-hmm. and I think that. And clearly, that is a uh, would, an achievement uh, that should be celebrated. Would but but it kind tell. of sort of detracts from what a great footballer he was. He was brilliant in yeah. the Forest team that won the you know the, in the late seventies. Yeah, you know, he was a really really good attacking fullback before attacking fullbacks were all over the place. Yeah, he was great in that in that sort of early George era, and then basically forced his way out to to join Man United and quickly joined. Um, Frank Stapleton as as, as hugely unpopular figures, um, and and you know was never forgiven as such, despite sort of heroics in this game. Mm. And it's really it's really strange actually because I think sort of kind of Kenny Sansom had a bit of a um, I don't know sort of sort of unhappy departure really, and the mm. way that sort of he he, he left. And it, you you put all these you know players together, and this Arsenal team you know had so many kind of cult heroes. Of that time, oh, David Rowcastle, I'm sure we'll come on to, yeah. you know, Mickey Thomas and, and Paul Davis. Paul Davis then... Perry Groves. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was injured it's for ridiculous. this. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And we were talking about this before before we came on, on air, me and Jonathan. I mean, it was just astonishing how... Yeah. I think Perry Groves was signed from Colchester mm. for £55,000. Ian Allenson, you know, also arrived from, <laughs> from there from sort of ridiculously low fee. And the, the, these sort of players, you just couldn't... They're never going to get a chance at the modern club. No, but that, that's that status of player who, I mean, yeah, I don't know what these players, what their reputation was when they were signed, but but definitely is a category of player who'd be signed for something like 55 grand from Colchester. Yeah. And the sort of the thought process would be, he can play in three or four positions. Mm-hmm. He's always going to be a six or seven out of 10 player. You know, it's useful to have him in the squad because if we get injuries, we haven't got a 25-man squad, we've got yep. a 16-man squad. And he's a useful figure to just slot in wherever we need, and they they have they've just disappeared from. I mean, understandably, they've disappeared mm. from the modern game. Mm. But it, what it means is you don't get people like Ian Allenson, 
mm. suddenly having their moment in the sun, their ten minutes of utter glory. Yeah, <laughs> and that that is a shame. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, going back to the game itself. Yeah. So, so, so Spurs. It's, it's a nil-nil at halftime. Yep. Um, and as you say, Arsenal, you're wondering well, how are they going to score? Well, Spurs do score with Clive Allen, mm. uh, as we mentioned. A very classic yeah. 80s goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, an Ardiles free kick from a, from a right, just just yeah. inside the Arsenal half. Deep free kick from Ardiles. Richard Goff. What a, what a, what a figure of a man. <laughs> um, he used to live down my road, you did know. Did he? Perfect <laughs> little flick of a mullet as well. <laughs> the iron ready presence of Richard Goff. <laughs> heads it down. Clive Allen running on. Half volleys it. Yeah, I mean, just a. That's what free kicks used to be. Yeah, yeah. Was that, I mean that was a bit of a punch in the gut, surely for Arsenal. Yeah, and 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 actually, I think there was. And it was on sixty-two minutes, so there wasn't that much of the game to be played. No, you. there wasn't really, and I do think that at that point you think you know it's slipping away here. Yeah. Simply because because of the because of the the time aspect, and also Arsenal just weren't creating chances. I think sort of. I think. And then Charlie Nicholas goes off injured. Yeah, yeah, and which is why Anson comes on. Yeah, yeah, and I have to say, at that point, you're probably thinking cause Charlie Nicholas was a weird one actually, because everyone, every Arsenal fan loved him, and you know, half the North Bank used to have sort of ridiculous wedge haircuts with the curly bit at the end, <laughs> and then basically in tribute to Charlie Nicholas. But actually, when you evaluate, it always makes me laugh to see Charlie Nicholas lecturing the modern day Arsenal player oh, yeah. on on how <laughs> he loves he it, should, doesn't he? Yeah, and how you should behave <laughs> and how you should how you should do things. Well, actually, Charlie, blimey, I wish you'd actually <laughs> taken that advice on board yourself when rather than going out nightclubbing every night and only yeah. turning up twice a season, which was generally against Spurs because actually he did have this phenomenal uh-huh. record but he didn't really turn up in these games yeah. you know to, to be honest so it wasn't the end of the world when he went off and you're suddenly thinking actually they might get someone on with who might go and chase the game down might go and chase the ball and sure enough Ian Allenton was, was, was a very willing <laughs> willing sort of player like that so he, I mean Allenton was a left winger wasn't he so did Martin Hayes move in the middle or how did, how did that no Ian Allenton could move uh, 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 Martin Hayes actually had that that amazing season when he could play through through the middle and basically was always a right winger sort of through the, through the age groups and then basically actually had an amazing season where he'd score week in week out and then was was really quite prolific and you're thinking that uh, in, you know this and then basically both of them could then um, you know play through the middle as well but uh, as I recall Hayes moved moved up front and then sort of Allenson then came, came in on the left on, on, from the left and indeed if you look at that goal and the way it's sort of well shaped, both the goals come from him sort of cutting yes, in from the left yes, side don't they? yeah and it's you, you know it, it was an amazing um, amazing moment Ian Allenson was it was a real kind of you know and this goal sort of you, you, both really sort of kind of typified his, his sort of kind of determination he was kind of you know, no, no airs and graces. Not particularly sort of kind of, you know, flair player or skills or anything, but very hard working mm. and would chase chase balls down really. And yeah. so you know, well, he never gave to... up on that one. No, no, absolutely. And it was, I mean, he sort of spun round. There was a bit of improvisation. So it's yes. eight minutes from time. It's a yeah. long yeah. ball over top from Paul Davis. Yeah. He runs onto it. Um, it looks like. Uh, Richard Goff sort of has, has sort of shepherded him away from goal. Positionally, he's there, but he sort of manages to get his back into Goff yes. and turns. And as he sort of falls, hooks a shot that goes through Goff's legs, takes everyone sort of, by surprise, really. Yeah, and just a just a sneaks in at the near post. Yeah, sneaks in at the near post, and and I must say, Ray Clements, we shouldn't forget really what a, what you know he was still he'd been brilliant for Spurs that season. Was obviously a legendary goalkeeper and. And basically, he, he'd been really good, obviously, magnificent servant for Liverpool, 
everyone thinking maybe he's winding down his career and then basically goes to Spurs and has a new lease of life. And I have to say that this this game in particular probably signals the end of greatness yeah, in I a mean, way. Yes. I just I mean look, I, I, look when you see that ball creep in yeah. and it does creep in, you're thinking, blimey, he's but got to get that. But at the he? same time, I understand why he was that far across it. I, mm. I understand why he'd left that gap there because mm. Goff appeared to be blocking it. And if that ball hasn't gone in that, you know, it was an inch either side, mm. you know, where it would have hit Goff's foot. Mm. And so I can understand why Clemson's thinking about I've got to protect the far side of the goal. Yeah, I know fun. what you mean because then in the cup final, the Mabbot own goal, he looks really leaden footed. Yeah. So he obviously is coming to an end. So I don't know. I'm, I'm more forgiving about this, I think. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about the winning goal? Yeah, because you know, that that came not that long after, and again yeah. it's Allenson yeah. down the left. You, you know, yeah. it's a really strange one because I, I, I before doing this, I, I sort of then watched there's sort of quite a, a few sort of um, bits on YouTube where where basically um, you, you, you can see extended highlights just to refresh the memory. And after that goal, what goes in to make it one-one? There's mm. a there's a real sort of kind of almost a bit of a bit of a weird lull. Yeah, and then it's basically you're thinking. Are both teams a little bit nervous? Yeah, you know, kind of. Do they yeah. take the extra time? And what, yeah, so much what football do we had, do? So know, much football's been of, played. They're still at loggerheads yes. in that position. The third game in late in the day in that game. Yeah, and Spurs, I know what you mean. Spurs then have this sort of kind of charge upfield. Mm. Arsenal have a bit of a half chance, and you're thinking, oh, I think they're both sort of kind of they're, they're both seeing it out. Yeah, and maybe if maybe if one gets a bit of a half, you know, a bit of a chance, who blinks first, they'll take think. it. Yeah. But this is going to extra time, isn't it? I'd resigned myself, you know, to sort of thinking, thinking that, and then you suddenly sit, you know, suddenly Arsenal come al- come alive again. Mm. You know, it's, it, it was a strange one. Ian Allenton, obviously yeah. central, central to it. So his again. cross hits Danny Thomas, mm. who was, I have to say, is a player I'd totally forgotten about. But you know, he, he, <laughs> yeah, he uh, got an injury. He's not, I think, I think a couple of weeks after this game, I he never it, played again. Yeah, it was Dan Maguire, wasn't it? And it's basically, and he was a brilliant player, Danny Thomas. He yeah, really got, got two caps on that team, yeah, Australia in '83, yeah. when a lot of younger players were tried out. Yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was excellent. He was sort of full of energy, full of, full of running, and and and, and so on. And yeah, the, the, he, so the, the cross the ball comes was to Newcastle, yeah. who first touch so takes him in the box, and yeah. then just great composure to keep picking his yeah. way through, mm. and then puts it past. Yeah. Sort of, does it sneak under? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there's no doubt about it. If you thought Clements was, if you questioned Clements for the first one, yeah, then, then yeah, then, 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 I mean, actually, we, we shouldn't. You definitely, shouldn't definitely. Michael Thomas had missed a really good chance just before. Yes, this. yes, he had. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, when, yeah. when's Michael Thomas ever going to score a vital goal? In oh, he loses it, doesn't he? He loses it. Not a man, not a man for the big occasion. Not a man for the sort of the score of the goal under yeah. under a huge amount of pressure. I'm um, nothing like that. Um, but it's just, I mean, it was a, it was an amazing thing and. David Rowcastle was just an absolute god to the Arsenal fans mm. because he was just I, I just I can't I still don't think there's been a player since or kind of before him where he's so skillful, so, you know, brilliantly committed, would go in fiercely fearlessly tackle, you know, into tackles and work so hard. You know, and I always thought he, you know, started on the right, obviously, and then basically I thought he would move inside and become a central midfield player. But you know, he just had so much ability, worked so hard for the team. Every time that you turned up to 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 watch Arsenal, every Arsenal fan would would know that they would get everything out of David Rowcastle. Always smiling, always come across as 
as someone who was so nice and such a great figure. And basically, if there was one player that basically thought, yeah. I want him to be the hero, it was Rocky. Everyone loved him, you know, and from, from the moment he got into the team. And it was just it was just a wonderful moment. The ball breaks to him. That luck, you know, as you referred to, that that sort of kind of that control, that first touch, and then the, and then the sort of the low shot, and it just and, and it creeps in. It was a moment of great intensity and great drama, and also great pressure. Well, it's sort of, and it's, <laughs> as a fan, a it's the perfect goal. type of goal where yeah. suddenly the chance is there, and you've got that. I mean, even if it's half a second of anticipation, mm-hmm. that's that is the best moment as the fan. That, that, yeah. that sort of half second where you. Oh yeah. my god! There's a chance yes. for it all to be over, and then yeah. it is, and that release. Yeah, and yeah. I would imagine looking at the, the way that end sort of you know, goes flailing. Half people probably didn't even see it go in. As soon as it goes past Clements, everybody's just jumping on top of each other. Well, it was it was weird because that 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 away end, depending on where you're stood, you basically the vast majority of the away end can only see actually probably the six yard box onwards. So you can't actually you can't actually <laughs> yeah. see the goal yeah. line because you it was like it yeah. was steep, but also you're right on top of it. And unless you were right at the front, mm. there's sort of a, a whole section of fans well, where actually yeah. you're looking over and you're sort of peering over, standing awkwardly, desperately trying to see. You've got no chance to yeah. see whether it actually hits <laughs> the half, net or half not. Half my fondest memories of going to Sunderland as a fan, <laughs> mm. I didn't actually see the goal. No, it's really weird. To Gary it? Bennett's volley against Manchester <laughs> yeah. United in '92. Didn't see it all much of a day that night. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, isn't it? I remember seeing, you know, Roadcastle closing in on the thing and he's hit it and then the whole away end erupts and that's when you know he scored. Yeah. I mean, you don't actually see the ball hit the net and yeah. that was, it was, you know, it was just an incredible, incredible moment and it sort of, it brought together that team. It brought together that sort of kind of that moment and, and everything sort of, you know, came forward from that moment, really. Mm. And of course, after that... Um tea and sandwiches <laughs> lifts home and Arsenal were in the final when they beat uh, Liverpool 2-1 it was, and it was the first time Arsenal won the League Cup and the yeah. first time Liverpool had lost after Ian Rush scored yes, yes. That, was the, that was the thing the curse was broken <laughs> yeah, absolutely it was, it was a strange thing that because I do actually remember you know you know, where you go into games these days and basically you hear this weird yeah. weird stat about um, well they uh, haven't beaten them for 39 years no, on a Thursday when, uh... well, I ain't been funny but if you're if you're Pain fan, if you're a sort of match-going fan, you just don't listen to that, really. Yeah. You know, kind of all the previews and stuff. But on this occasion, I have but to say... everybody knew that stuff. Everybody knew that stuff. Yeah. Everyone was talking about mm. it. And I remember being there, you know, getting to Wembley so ridiculously early to get a good spot and being, being with all my mates from school and basically watching it. And then suddenly, Ian Rush. And, we're, and we literally all said, oh, God. Yeah. We're not going to win now. No. But then and Charlie Nicholas a... did turn up. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, the cannonball kid had the last laugh. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know quite how it rolled in, but it sort of certainly did. And it was just, yeah, it was just, a, it was an amazing season mm. and that brought together absolutely everything. Yeah. But I think that, that that night, that game, you know. Laid the foundations. Just laid everything for, for Arsenal and, and, and indeed the modern Arsenal. Indeed. John, it's been an absolute pleasure talking oh, to you. Oh, thank you. No, thank it's you been a pleasure much. recalling it. Um, for more stories like this, of course, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Um, we'll be back next week. Jonathan, a pleasure as always. Cheers, thank you. one, everybody. See you then. Amazing record of Arsenal. They are through to Wembley. One of the great Women's Cup comebacks. Those two late, late goals. One by Ian Allenson. And then the winner, 
This was a Stakhanov production. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.